Welcome to the Real Music Talk podcast. Music conversations with one big question. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Real Music Talk podcast. I'm your host, Keith Hall, and this is episode number three. Today's guest is none other than the great Janice Siegel, uh, an incredible vocalist in her own right, and an important member of the Manhattan Transfer for a very long time. So we're going to talk about that and many other things. Janice has so many stories to tell. And, you know, not only is is Janice this incredible artist, but she has this contagious energy about her. Um, Such a positive person and uh, just effervescent, really. And I love being around her and, and getting a chance to speak with her. So we're glad that she is on the podcast today. Before we get into it, though, I want to remind you to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends uh, if you like what you've been hearing and, uh, you know, leave a rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts there or wherever you you listen to podcasts and um, and just spread the word. We're having a lot of fun doing this. So we're going to get into this conversation now with the great Janice Siegel. Well, hello, Janice. Welcome to the podcast. Hi there, Keith. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. I can't believe we've connected. It's been a little while, but uh, through the wonders of Zoom, we can see each other and and talk. So I'm really excited that you're here. And um, you've had such an amazing career, and we don't have time to go through all of it. But I mean, hopefully it's not over. Well, it's just getting started. <laughs> I mean, you've been you've oh, been with the Manhattan Transfer since 1972. 72. Yeah, that's that's a couple years. We're coming up to 50 years, actually. And you've won a bunch of Grammy Awards with that group, of course. And and aside from that, you've had an amazing solo career. Um, you've been nominated for a Grammy. Um, and, and you've worked with, you know, collaborated with so many people and I'm honored that I've gotten the chance to work with you and play with you a bit. And it's, it's, I would never forget the first time we met at the, uh, was it the Acorn Theater in Three Rivers, I think? Um, what a sweet little theater that was. Yeah. And Fred yeah. Hirsch had recommended me, which I'll never forget him for, <laughs> among other things. And I was setting up my drums and was the first one there and you walked in and we had never met before. And you just looked at me and you said, oh, you must be Keith. And you came over and gave me this huge hug. <laughs> <laughs> and any thought of being nervous playing with you at that point was totally gone. Because I thought, oh, this is going to be perfect. And, <laughs> and, it was and it was. It was perfect. Yeah, it was easy. totally swinging. <laughs> so this podcast is based on one question. And... Uh, just wondering if you could pinpoint an event or a series of events in your career that you might call the, the tipping point or big break. or What really tipped it off for you? Well, to be honest, I mean, now that you know, I'm 50 years into a career in music, I have an arc that I can look back on and I can pinpoint several moments several tipping point moments. Um, I'm thinking the first one was when I decided to be a singer, like to really identify as a singer, 
because I was, uh, I was on another path as, as a career. I was in nursing school in college and I was interested in other things. I was interested in science and yet I had been singing professionally since I'm 12 uh, and, and making records and stuff and singing harmony. And I ju- and I would love it, loved it so much. It was so natural to me. And there I was struggling with chemistry and, you know, anatomy, not so much. I, I was good with that, but I was still running back to New York city to, to do demos and stuff. And then finally one day, I think it was after hearing Janis Joplin sing or something. I said, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do the singing. I'm just going to do the singing. And instead of staying in school and switching my major, which would have been a good idea, (laughs) uh, I just left school and just decided to dive into the life of being a singer. So that was one moment. And uh, that led me through a whole bunch of very important life lessons and experiences you know, work, I had had to waitress, I had to, I worked with um, autistic and handicapped children with music as a teacher's aide. Um, And then the next moment really was meeting Tim Hauser in New York City, uh, who was a cab driver, he was driving a cab. I mean, and by, and this time, you know, my dream of being a singer was panning out. I had my own group. We were just about to get a record deal ourselves. We were writing, we were performing, we were all playing guitar. We were getting into singing more jazz inflected things ourselves. But I met Tim and he opened my mind and heart to this whole other vein of music. Uh, because I, I was a jazz fan, but I was, I was listening to instrumentals mainly. And, you know, a lot of modern music and free jazz. and uh, But I didn't know what came before that. And I, I didn't really listen to singers, jazz singers, mm. at all. So that was, that was a pivotal moment. And then when we decided, along with Laurel Massé, to reform the Manhattan Transfer, that was the moment when I could have said, you know, I know, I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm going to. I'm going to go back to my group and we're going to get our record deal and see what happens with that. I said, this is what I want to do. I want to do this. I want to sing for Bird Harmony. And mm-hmm. I want to create this, this uh, Manhattan transfer idea from the top. So now your, your group, the group that you had, what, where did that consist of? It was three women. Okay. Always, actually, when I was 12, it was three, three girls. We were called the young generation. And then when I was 17, 18, we were called Laurel Canyon. Okay. So what was it about Manhattan Transfer, this four-part harmony that, that, what was it that made you make that decision? Well, the the top of my head blew off. When I, when I heard four and five-part harmony, I heard those chords, you know, because I had been listening to those chords, you know, with, with instrumentalists. With, with Monk, with Artatum, with Clifford Brown, with John Coltrane, with, you know, listening to the, those modern variations, but then hearing voices sing it and then learning the history from Tim, the evolution 
of vocal jazz that sort of started with the instrumentalists and, and concur concurrently developing with the instrumentalists. Uh, I just, I, I had a gut feeling, you know, this is the lesson for me right there. It's the gut does not lie. Hmm. The gut tells you what to do. So instead of being practical, <laughs> uh, I took a risk and, and said, yes, I'm in. I'm in on the Manhattan transfer. The next thing that happened was really our big break. I would say our big break was getting Ahmed Erdogan to come and hear us. Okay. And that only happened because we had a manager at the time who was powerful. He was a powerful guy. His name was Aaron Russo. And uh, he managed Bette Midler as well. And he was very forceful and he knew a lot of people. And he basically dragged Amit to Philadelphia one night with various um, temptations. Mm -hmm. And Amit caught our second set at the Bijou Cafe and signed us that night. And Amit was uh, Atlanta. Um, yeah, Ahmed Erdogan and his brother Nesui, along with Jerry Wexler, started um, Atlantic Records. Yes. And they were music lovers. They were really music lovers. I mean, they were record collectors. They were lovers of American music, jazz and blues, roots music. I mean, look at the legacy of that label. Yeah. And we said, that's the label we want to be on. We had been turned down by almost every label by at that point. Wow. They said, you know, we love, we like you. We, we think you're great. You're a lot of fun. You're entertaining. But I don't think we can sell records. That was the general consensus. And then Ahmed signed us. And I, and I think, <laughs> honestly, I think we just appealed to his personal taste. That's kind of what it is, right? I mean, for people like that. I mean, I know they're thinking about selling records, of course. Yeah. But real but record people are music lovers. Yeah. I mean, in the old days, that's what they were. I mean, all throughout the board. Yeah. They were also businessmen where they had people doing the business for them. You know, but... When you uh, talk about... That, sorry, you talk about listening to your gut. Yeah, right? but the, this is the lesson all throughout my career, really. It's listening to the gut. I mean, when, when Laurel Massey left, that was another, another milestone is when Laurel Massey left. Should we go on? Should we continue? Should we replace Laurel? And we had a, a bit of soul searching and, with everybody. Uh, and uh, we spoke to our record, to Atlantic, the, the guys at Atlantic as well. And we decided to go on. And the seventh woman that we auditioned was Cheryl Benteen. So, and that started a whole nother beautiful wave for us. So Laurel was in the group before Cheryl. Yes. Okay. So. Yes, she's my original partner. Okay. And what year was that? Well, we started in '72, and Laurel left seven years after that. Seven. Okay. Yeah, '79. Right. Okay. And nine, and uh, then in 1980, we made extensions with with ah. Jay Graydon. Right. Okay. When did you all uh, earn your your first Grammy Award. 1980. So, right. So that's really when that it was it. Up. Yeah. For gotcha. two Grammys for Birdland. Mm -hmm. I won one for vocal arrangement and the group won one 
for the for the recording. So the uh, boy from New York City would, must have been after that then. It was. How far along was that? The next record. The next one. Okay. Now, when did you start to release your own records? Uh, I made my first solo record um, in 1981 on the on Atlantic uh, with Joel Dorn, the legendary Joel Dorn, who became a very good friend. Mm. We did a lot of work together, a lot of work, a lot of hanging out. And uh, he was a mentor, definitely a mentor. Nice. Um, I, I picked him because I saw what he did with Bette Midler and uh, with Roberta Flack. And I liked the way he worked with female vocalists very much. I knew he was a jazz disc jockey when he was in Philadelphia. Mm. Um, and he produced the Neville brothers and the whole bunch and Rasan Roland Kirk for God's sake, you know, but that's, that's a, that's a wide breadth of talent right there. Really? So, uh, yeah, it was 1981 experiment in white. Okay. And then I did two records with Fred Hirsch after that. So for you, it's really not, uh, one moment that really makes it there's there's a series no, of it's a events. series of, of as i say now that i have the the age <laughs> uh, i can i can see the arc you know it's moments of of just quieting yourself and really feeling what you want to do for realsies i mean like what your gut is telling you to do I mean, to to me, there was no question that I was joining the Manhattan Transfer. It was a, such a strong feeling. And uh, the minute, I mean, we rehearsed for six months. We rehearsed five tunes for six months because we were all learning how to sing the harmony, how to write the harmony, how to blend, how, you know, how we wanted to shape the music dynamics you know uh shaping our vowels together all of that stuff so we rehearsed rigorously and um when i heard the sound of the four-part harmony for the first vocal arrangement which was blue for blue champagne i i knew i made the right choice this is what i want to do i want to be part of the chord here mm. i want to be in the middle of the chord Holding it all together, right? <laughs> the glue. Well, the altos and tenors do uh, do a lot of heavy heavy lifting. Yes. Yeah. Not I'm not demeaning sopranos and basses at all. <laughs> at all. Well, uh, I'm just so grateful that you've taken this time to to share some of these moments with us, and it's my and pleasure, to, my pleasure, and to really share this 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 lesson that I, I think applies you know, can apply to anyone. And, Absolutely. Uh, or in any, in any field. Uh, just to follow your gut. You said the gut will tell you what to do. It will. It will tell you. Your heart will tell you. I mean, it's, it sounds cliched, but, uh, but it's true. I mean, but you have to have the clear pathway to listen to yourself too. I mean, I mean, that's where all of the techniques for clearing your mind and calming down really come in handy to really feel a clear path to what you want and then act on it. 
And you have some daily practices that you do to kind of quiet things and just listen. Yeah. I, I've been meditating. I started meditating. Actually, my, my ex-husband was a teacher of meditation, among other things. But he was, a, he was a TM teacher. So I started doing that, which was very helpful, uh, twice a day. And then, and certainly when I had a child, it came in really handy. So if you can meditate through the noise uh, that children make, <laughs> then, right. or if you could stay calm, through through the whole child rearing process right. then i stopped for a while i stopped for a while and then i went back to it right after my mother died a, a friend of mine got it got me back into it and i've been doing it religiously ever since especially now especially now and uh yoga also i mean i, I was doing yoga twice a week now i'm doing it every day I've been doing it six days a week now. Wow. You know, anything that's a moving meditation or that will get you, I mean, even washing dishes can be a moving meditation. Just depends how you're viewing it. Um, singing to me is, gets me right into the moment. Mm. Wow. So I've been very grateful for this uh, work with Lauren Kinnan, you know, that I've been doing with Vocal Gumbo, uh, which is our virtual vocal mania, this sort of landlocked show that we had in New York City for about two and a half years, again, before this this happened. So I've been singing a lot, actually, and and doing things, uh, writing vocal arrangements on the fly and, you know, stuff I love to do, which is really keeping me happy. (laughs) <laughs> and in the moment. Yeah, we've had we've all had time to do things like that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't have it, it has some good sides to it. There are some things I want to continue after this is over, which I I'm feeling a little hopeful that it's going to be over soon. And after the election, you know, certainly yes. that'll be better. There's a lot of work to do. A lot, a lot of work. There's a lot of work to do. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of dialogue to have and a lot of listening and a lot of changing, changing behaviors. Mm-hmm. It's going to take uh, a lot of work. And, you know, and this all kind of wraps up, you know, you talk about getting quiet, listening, following your heart, listening to your heart. It does sound a little cliche, of course, but I mean, that's who you are, right? That's your heart. Yes. Yes, it's, it's your, your deepest core, your yeah. deepest core. Yeah. It's it's in there. It might be buried under layers of who knows what, but it's there. Oh, I love I love it, Janice. I'm again just super grateful that you are sharing this uh, today. My pleasure. And now I have to go back to uh, stretching some homemade mozzarella. Yeah, we'll have we'll have you on again, and we can talk about cooking. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Share your recipes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Janice. And uh, you're welcome, my dear. To talking to you next it's great time. to see you and, and to hear you. Well, that was a lot of fun. Janice Siegel, what a gem. Go with your gut. I love it. Check her out on social media and, and find her website and enjoy her music. We've got some great episodes coming up for you, so please subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends. In the meantime, be who you be and do what you do. Take care.